Thank you, friends. Oh, it's nice. <laughs> oh, it's good to be together, isn't it? And if you're not here in person, it's great to be together online. So we, we, um, I'm excited. So I'm going to jump straight in. Uh, what a beautiful time of worship. I love being at both of the um, first and second service. It's great because it's, it's different each time. It's wonderful. So this, I've just been really praying um, this week about uh, what to share, and as I've been kind of praying and meditating, I've really felt like um, the Holy Spirit wanted me to, wants us to experience a fresh uh, touch of His love. You know, we uh, catch the fire, we are known for the Father's love, the amazing outpouring of the Father's love uh, back in 1994 and the continual outpouring of his love. And so um, sometimes we might think, well, you know, we've, well, we've been there and done that. And I just want to say, I don't ever, we've had people say, you know, the Father's love, yeah, well, when, when are you going to move on? And I'm like, I never, ever, ever want to move on from the love of my heavenly daddy that he poured out for me in Jesus, that he rescued me out of the pit and seated, put me in Christ Jesus. So I don't ever think we can ever get enough of the Father's love. I don't ever think we can ever move on from it. I think there's always a fresh revelation, a fresh encounter, a fresh um, facet of his beauty and his kindness and his love and his gentleness and his holiness and everything to experience. So I just... I I just want to invite you right now, if you would like a fresh touch, a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit, of the Father's love overwhelming you right now, just lift up your hands to him and just invite him. Just say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you pour out the Father's love? Would you pour out the love of God in our hearts today, tangibly on every single person in here or every person watching online or every person that will listen to this marriage, we, this message later, we say yes to a, a fresh outpouring and a baptism of your love this morning and that we would experience your love, that we wouldn't just know about it in our heads, we wouldn't just talk about it with our mouths, but we would physically experience it in our bodies. That, we would, that, that you would just so touch us that, that it would manifest physically in us and through us. We welcome you and we say yes to more. We say yes to your love being the love that transforms us, that changes us. Oh, we love you. We love you. Just say, I want more, Lord. I want more. I receive more. I receive more. And he's so good. He comes when we say we want you because he's so faithful. He's so faithful. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So you can turn to Isaiah 6. That's the, I, as I've been uh, kind of meditating on what to share this morning, the Holy Spirit uh, took me to this passage, which you may know very well, but I want to encourage you today to just kind of come with an open heart and fresh eyes and fresh vision to, to encounter the... Um, the, this, the, the king of glory in this passage. And, um, you know, I've, I've been in a, a season at the moment of meditating on 1 John. You don't have to turn there. Murray and I have been um, kind of just meditating on it and just mulling over it. And I've particularly been in 1 John 3, just kind of reading through it over and over again. And, and, and often when I read it, I can't get past the first verse. <laughs> been enjoying uh, the, the, the love of God as I, I kind of meditate on him. So you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. So this is just the first part of, of 1 John 3, um, the first verse. And it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given or lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And I just love this passage because it's, it's like it says, behold, behold, look, feast on, meditate on, uh, contemplate, um, look, notice, feel, take note of, 
It's just what, what is being said, behold. It's like a statement, behold, look at. And then it says, what manner of love the Father. And it says Father there. It doesn't say God Almighty. It says the Father. He is our dad. What manner of love the Father has lavished, poured out on us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And this word, where, where it says what manner of love, the, the root of that word is, is from which country? From what country? And as I've meditate, been meditating on just this first part of the scripture, I'm like, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm like, God, heavenly daddy, your love is out of this world. There is no love in this world that can compare with your love. Your love is, it's like from another place altogether. It is from heaven. It is from right where you are, the throne room of God. That's where the love of God from. It's not comparable to any other love that I might experience um, on the earth. It's like out of this world. And as I, and it's not just, it's not just that, but as I meditate on the quality of that love, the, what his love has done for me and for us in Christ Jesus, it blows my mind. As I spend, I've been spending time just gazing upon it, thinking about it, looking at different scriptures that, you know, Jesus came. He gave himself fully for me. He, he came out of heaven, being in the very presence of his Father in perfection and glory and beauty, and stepped onto this planet amongst a sinful people and became, he came perfect, but as a man, he clothed himself in, by fle in flesh. He confined himself. I mean, what kind of love does that? There's not really any kind of love on the planet that does that. He became the thing that he created so that he could take us all. He could live the perfect life and take us with him to the Father, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't die but have eternal life. What kind of love that blows my mind? So I've just been meditating on it, beholding the beauty of Jesus and his love, the quality of his love, looking at it, enjoying it. And my prayer today is that we would encounter that love, that we would just enjoy that love again, that we would see a fresh facet of his beauty and his wonder and just fall in love with him and let him love on us. But my prayer is also that that love would not stop with us because the quality and the, the test of the love that we've received is really only manifested when that flows through us to other people around us. And so my prayer today is that as we look at this passage and we look at the majesty and the holiness and the glory of Jesus, that we would experience his lavish love like a deluge, like a Niagara Fall deluge, pouring out on us. And Duncan preached a fantastic message last week on forgiveness, and that's a great ground it's a great clean ground to just experience a fresh touch this morning where we, where we released people, we released ourselves and we received forgiveness for ourselves. And it's like, oh, that's a perfect place for the love of our heavenly daddy to come and just pour out on us afresh. So my prayer today is that you would encounter that love, but that love would just, as, as you marinate in it, as you meditate on it, that it would send you and that it would so fire you up that you would go and give it away to everybody that you come into contact, that we would give his love away to the world around us, to those in our families. And so it is an out of this world, not of this world love. And I just want to encourage you, you know, um, from the place of, of experiencing his love, that, that your heart would be like Isaiah in this passage and that your heart would just yield and surrender once again as you experience that love, that, that it would just cause you to completely be unashamedly surrendered to his love for the world around you, that you would, that we would today 
that we would do, at the, we would say at the end of this, just like Isaiah, we would say, here I am, Lord, send me. I'm going to go whatever it takes. Whatever you say, I'm going to do. I, there's not, I'm, I'm going to let go of my agenda, and I'm going to do whatever you I'm going I'm to surrender to you, and I will do whatever it takes. I will go wherever you want me to go. And it doesn't necessarily mean going overseas or leaving. It might mean going to your neighbor. It might mean going to your friend down the street. It might mean going to your colleague, going to the person at the grocery store. But we would, I feel like there is a commissioning this morning for us. You know, the world really needs love at the moment. The world, we all need the love of God, always. But the world really needs the love of our heavenly daddy at the moment. And so who's going to, you know, how are people going to experience except for through us, his, the, the people who are the objects of his love. So we don't want it just to kind of stay with us and, and just spend all that time marinating in it without it having an action because God is love. He so loved the world, he gave. He, it, love is active. It is not passive. Love is active. And his love is always active towards us. And his love is active through us to those around us. Love can make us do some crazy things, can't it? <laughs> it can make us do crazy things. You know, when you might, if you're new to dating, you, you, will, you will start doing things and liking things maybe that you didn't like before because the person who is the object of your affection likes them. They become likable to you. I'm not particularly into cars, but I love my husband. He's, he's, he's my favorite person after Jesus, my best friend after Jesus, and I love him. And we've been married for 26 years. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes I make a mistake, get it wrong. Anyway, but I love him. And, and he, he got a Jeep, and he's really enjoying this Jeep. It was a, a uh, just a, he blessed himself, and, and he's going to get some upgrades, and I am not really interested in that kind of thing at all. I don't notice the different size of tires on the, on the thing. But I'm willing, and I'm enjoying seeing the delight in my husband as he's, as he's researching, as he's like planning it, and I love it. It brings me such joy, and so I take joy in it with him. I'll, I will look at tires that all look the same to me, but they're not. I'll, we'll talk about how high the lift is, and I'm like, I don't know. What does that mean? Am I going to be able to get into the, this thing after you lift it? You know. Anyway, but you do some crazy things for love. When you have children, you do some crazy things for your children. You will make all kinds of funny noises, all kinds of funny faces just to get them to smile at you. You will clean up their poop, explosive poop. You will clean it up because you love them. And you don't want them to sit in their poop. What a good picture of the Father's love for us. You will clean up puke for them. Murray, bless him, he's an amazing man. We were on a long flight to Australia once. and No, to England, I think it was. And Sarah was just little. And, and she had had some milk. And something did not agree with her. Sorry, Sarah, I don't mean to embarrass you here. It happens to all children. All children puke. Anyway, um, and she was sitting on his lap, and she just, like, unloaded everything on him. And he had to sit. The, the, the hostesses, the, the people came and came with masks on, you know, and all of that, and helped a little bit, but kind of said, there you are, you're on your own. Had to sit in it for the rest of the flight. That is love. That is love, you know. <laughs> we do amazing things for love, don't we? And the world needs love at the moment. <sighs> And the father has a crazy, extravagant, incredible love for his world, for the world. Let's look at Isaiah 6. I'm just going to read through, through this. And I want you to kind of put yourself in there with Isaiah this morning. Oh, you might know this passage well, but let's, let's, let's have a fresh kind of vision. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, 
Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Now this is an incredible kind of passage. And I I think just there's an invitation here for us this morning to just behold Jesus in a, in a fresh way, who he is, and the, the God, the King of glory that Isaiah saw in this moment, in this vision that he had, the glorious, magnificent, holy, high and lifted up, reigning above all, pure and perfect and, and matchless in every way. Nothing compares with him. Nothing can like has, has a bar on him because he is so awesome. There's an invitation for us this morning to to see, to have a fresh vision of who he is, the one who reigns above it all, and to see the God that Isaiah saw, and to experience him afresh. And you know, I think that in this, this, this time at the moment, I think the church needs a fresh vision of God. You know, we, we need a fresh, that something inside us to stir, our eyes to be open to how incredible he is, how capable he is of, of, of taking care of us and the world and, and his kids, how beautiful he is and how awesome he is. Lord, let that be across the church, across the world, across the globe. Let us be in awe of who you are again in a fresh way. And there's something significant about that place of worship that he was in. So let's, just in this first verse, this is kind of interesting. So it says, and it seems like it's, it's important to the text. It, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. So he mentions that it's the king that the, the year that King Uzziah died. Now, King Uzziah, when I looked into this, he had reigned for 52 years, and he had ruled, and it had been fairly prosperous. The nation had been fairly prosperous, and mostly things were good. But now he died, and they're in a transition, and, and they're waiting for his son, Jotham, to, to take the throne. And so there's a, 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 a time of transition, and it's a bit shaky, and, and the people are not quite sure, and probably Isaiah is, is not quite sure what's going to happen. You know, he knows they've been in this season where the king is, has been mostly good, and they've been fairly prosperous as a nation, and taken care of, and, and good things have happened, some bad things, but, but, but then he's dead and gone. He's removed from the throne. There's no one on the throne, and now they're waiting for the next king, king to take his seat, and they're not sure. And so Isaiah's in the, probably in the prayer room. It's good to pray, isn't it, in a season of transition of leadership. And he's in the prayer room, and he's, like, he's probably feeling a bit, bit like, oh, gosh, what's going to happen, Lord? But what happens is, is the Lord opens up this vision. It's like this, this earthly king has been taken off. And we haven't got a new king on there yet, and I'm going to open up this vision to you, and I'm going to show you who really is the king, who is the king above all kings. And it's an awesome vision. And I think what is really pertinent to us in this moment, particularly in this nation, we're in a period of transition, transition of leadership. You know, obviously presidents, they do come and go. Leaders come and go. And we're, we're moving from when President Trump was in office, and now we have President Biden in office. Now, I'm not going to go into that. There may be some people that are happy that President Biden is in office and that President Trump is no longer in office. And there may be some people that are like, I really like President Trump, and I'm not quite sure what's going to happen, and I'm a little bit nervous. And so it's a good time to pray, isn't it? It's a good time for us to pray. 
Now, I think what the Lord wants us to not do is focus on the rulers and the leaders of the land, the kings of the land, with a little k. He wants us to have a vision of him, the king above all kings, as he gave to Isaiah, who is high and lifted up, seated above all earthly kings, all earthly leaders who will come and go, and he may use those people but he is still sovereign and above it all. He is still in control. He is still the God of the universe. Nothing is a surprise to him. And so sometimes it takes a transition where something is gone, someone is gone, and this new thing hasn't come for us to see the Lord high and lifted up. And so I feel like we're in a season as a church and as a nation of seeing the Lord high and lifted up, can we trust him? Can we depend on him? And so he looks up and he sees um, that the king of kings is on the throne, that he's still there. Nothing has dethroned him. Nothing has taken Jesus from the throne. Nothing. So our kings of the earth may go. They may come and they may go. But there is one king, King Jesus, who remains eternally seated on his throne. We see, as when we see him more clearly, in his might, in his majesty, in his power, in his awe, in his beauty, in his glory, when we can see him more clearly, things fall into place. We get more clarity. Yeah? And I feel like there's an invitation for us to see him more clearly, not the earthly kings and kingdoms, but to see him and his kingdom. And in this place, we see that he is surrounded by seraphim. So he's, there's a seraphim that stood above him. So Isaiah sees the seraphim. And you know that seraphim, that means burning ones, fiery ones. So in the presence of the most fiery, holy God, the burning one himself, there are many multitudes of burning ones who are around him. And can you just imagine the worship that is going on in that moment as they look at him and they can't really look at him because they're covering their eyes. And I imagine his flaming fiery eyes of lava, just it's so intense, they almost have to cover their eyes. But can you just imagine, these, these burning ones are in the presence of an awesome king who is high and lifted up, who is beyond comparison, and they are worshiping. They are worshiping. They are burning. Now, there is something significant about the revelation in the place of worship. And I believe that the Father is, we've, we've started these, we've relaunched worship nights because we feel like it's so important in this time to just press in to Jesus, to focus on Jesus, to take our eyes up. Come up higher is what, it's like, look up, Isaiah. Look up, friends. Look up. Focus on Jesus who is above everything and worship him because he is so worth it. He's so holy and wonderful and beautiful. And that's what these burning ones are doing. Let us join those burning ones by being burning ones ourselves. And, you know, as, you, as we worship and adore him and from that place, uh, things happen, don't they? They happen. And so they are, they are what, what are they singing? They're, they're having a worship that has been going on in the throne room for all eternity. They're joining in with the passionate worship of the, the living creatures around the throne, the elders who are there, and the, all the, God, the angel armies in the presence of God, worshiping day and night, night and day, just, just throwing themselves down at his feet. And, and loving on him because he's so amazing and beautiful. And they're all singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. They're expressing their wonder. They're expressing their awe and their worship at this majestic king. Holy, holy, it's like a song from one to another. Holy, oh, I've seen another side. He's holy, oh my goodness, he's holy. He's worthy, he's beautiful. There's nothing else that I wanna look at but him. He's captivated my gaze. They're just, they're just focused on him. And the amazing thing is, is that worship is go, it's been going for eternity and it will go for eternity. And we get to join in with that. Every Sunday, every time we worship him, we are joining in with all of 
the angels and the living creatures around the throne. And that is something really significant. There is something powerful in worship, in our worship. But it's not just, oh, just singing songs. It's, I love the, I didn't even tell the band what I was preaching on this morning, but they chose all of these songs that just magnify Jesus. It's just, he is beautiful. He is the wonderful one. He is so amazing. He is, he, I mean, he, he created everything, the universe, the billions of stars. He created the planet. Oh, he's worthy of our worship. The wind goes where he sends it. We get to join in with that. And there's, I think the Lord is bringing us as the church into this place of reverence, awe, and majesty of Jesus. It's not about me and worship. It's about him. It's all about him. It is all for him. It's all unto him. And so the songs that we sing actually matter in worship. <laughs> and so we love it. I love it when there are these great big God songs because, gosh, doesn't it put everything else into perspective? All those other issues, they're like, oh, that's not a big deal. You know, it's like, oh, you are worthy. You're able. You are so able. You are so beautiful. Oh, gosh, I love you, King Jesus. There's no one like you. May we be caught up in that. And we were caught up in that today, in that moment. It was a beautiful moment when glory started singing. I'm like, oh, the presence of Jesus was so thick. We exalt you, Jesus. We lift your name up. You are high and lifted up, but we lift up your name. That was beautiful. He loves it. He loves it. I just imagine him spinning around, enjoying our worship. So in this place, that's what they're doing. You know, they're saying, holy, he is holy. You know, he is perfect. He has never, ever, ever, ever done anything wrong. There is nothing wrong with him. Everything about our king is right. He is righteous in every way. He's perfect. He's spotless. He's blameless. He's never had one bad thought. He's never, had one, he's never said one bad thing. He's never done anything wrong. He is perfect in every way. He is holy. He is holy. There is absolutely nothing wrong with him. He is altogether lovely. He is beautiful. And he is not just perfect and without sin. He is not just the sinless one. He is sinless. He is perfection. But it's not just holy, you're pure. Because the creatures that were there, the angels were pure, are pure, aren't they? There's, they haven't ever done anything wrong. They haven't sinned. Because if they'd sinned, they couldn't be in the presence of the Holy One. But they are there with him. So they're kind of like him in one sense. But this holy, holy, holy is not just you're perfect. It's not just you are spotless, and it's not just that you haven't done anything wrong. His holiness is so magnificent that it is, you are so set apart. You are apart from everything else. There is nothing that can compare with you. There is nothing that is like you, Jesus. There is nobody who is anywhere near you, who is able to come anywhere close to you. You are so out of this world, you are the holy and apart one, the uncreated one. You are you. You are God and everything else and everyone else is not. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I mean, when you think about this, does it not blow your mind? Does it not make you think, oh, thank you that you are my dad? Oh, my goodness. It blows my mind. So they are expressing this holy, holy, you're set apart, you're perfect and without sin. Just have a look at me. This is another passage that I love in, in Isaiah in chapter 40. Love the whole passage. I've been meditating on this as well. And it says, let's just look at, we're going to look at verse 18 and verse 25. To whom then will you, will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? There's nothing, is there? There's absolutely nothing that we can compare him with. And then verse 25 says, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. We cannot. He is incomparable. There is nobody like him. And then part of their worship says, they're going, holy, 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 you're incomparable. You are set apart, high and lifted up. There's nobody like you in the whole, in, in 
the, in heaven or on earth, but the, and the whole earth is filled with your glory. The whole earth is full of your glory. That's part of their worship. They're, they're worshiping. You know, God, the uncreated one, created the universe. He holds the universe in the, the span of his hands. Oh my goodness, does that not blow your mind? It blows my mind. He created the sun. The sun is just the right distance from the earth that it keeps us from freezing, but we do not burn up and shrivel up. He created all of the galaxies of which I have no idea about most of them. We're just part of this little Milky Way. He created it all. He, he created the beautiful peaks and mountaintops, the deep valleys, the deep, what is it, the Mariana Trench that's at the bottom of the ocean that they say it's hard to even get to the bottom of. He knows it. He made it. He created the trees, the birds, all of the animals. Like in, when we lived in Australia, man, even the annoying birds are the most beautiful birds you've ever seen. It's incredible, the loud ones. They are spectacular. And I look at them and I'm like, God, you have such a good imagination. You blow my mind. You must have had so much fun creating all of the creatures on the earth. He did it. And he, he gives them breath. He gives them life. He knows their days. He created the moon that reflects the sun. And he, he holds it all together. He created us out of the dust. Like what? And he made us like him. He made us like him. We are made in his image. He's, he didn't need us. He's holy. He's set apart. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever in heaven. Just enjoying one another, worshiping one another. Complete, not needing anything. Full of love, full of glory, awesome, powerful. They did not need anything. But, but he loved us so much that he said, let us make man in our image. Let us make an object that can enjoy our affection and that we can enjoy. Let us make man. Let us mold him and put our, our love upon him. <laughs> it blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. And then he created the stars. This is another thing. It just blows my mind. I don't know. Our daughter, Sarah, you're, you're featuring today, Sarah. She loves... Um, she has loved uh, astronomy, so the stars, the study of the stars. She's got a telescope. It would, we, we would love it if it was stronger so we could see more, but she likes to look at the stars. She's a real contemplator, and it's one of the things that I love about her, that she can see beauty in things that other people don't even notice. And anyway, the, it, let's just look again in, um, verse, in chapter 40. It talks about the stars here. Just after that verse 25, verse 26 says, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, the billions and billions of stars he put up in the sky, each one of them, he brings them out by number. Like he knows how many there are, like one bursts and dies and he knows that it's gone. I'm like, what? He is incredible. He calls them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. He names every star. He placed every star in the heavens, in the sky, just because he can. He knows all of them by name, and he holds them all there in the greatness of his power. Not one of them is missing until he says, okay, it's your time to go. He is fantastic. He is incomparable. He is holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And everything, we can look at creation and see God. We can glory in his goodness by looking at what he's created. The uncreated one creating this beauty for us. It is spectacular. He is the Lord over all, all created things, including us as people and nations. He is over all. There is nothing that happens that he doesn't know about. He, even nations that will not, people that do not like him, do not follow him, do not love him, he loves them and he knows all about them and he wants to give all of the nations as an inheritance to his son. What? What? Oh my goodness. Ah. 
So what does Isaiah do in this moment, right? You might think he'll go, woohoo, he's awesome, because that's how we do it sometimes. Maybe not quite like that. But what does he do in the presence of this awesome, holy God? He doesn't go, woohoo, he goes, whoa. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In all of God's holiness and splendor, it's not, it's not like this joy and ecstasy that comes up in him. It's actually, oh my goodness, in the presence of the Almighty God, the Holy One, I'm suddenly aware of my smallness and my weakness, and my sin. Woe is me. Ruin. I'm, I'm ruined. I'm ruining heaven. Destruction belongs to me. That's what he's saying. Woe is me. I'm lost. I'm utterly, like, I'm, and he's, he, he loved God, and he's saying that, you know? He, it's, it's a fear of God, a healthy fear of God in that moment, and I think sometimes we have, have, become a little bit too flippant about stuff in our lives sometimes. And I think some of it is because we haven't seen the majesty and the glory, and we haven't had a full revelation of how incredible he is. Lord, give us a greater revelation that would cause us to say, I do not want any part of this sin in my life. I do not want it. Like, like, it's not just, you know, often we put a grade on sin, don't we? We say, oh, that's, that person's really bad because they cheated on their wife right? That's really bad. Oh, but I never did that. But oh, if we read the New Testament, we see that Jesus said, if, I, if a man so much as has lust in his heart, he has committed adultery. Oh my goodness. So we've all committed adultery. Uh, you can come and tell me if you haven't. I'll probably say, well, you've lied now. So, <laughs> so we often grade sins because we, we, I think we feel ashamed and we, we kind of think, oh gosh, and it's, and it's often better to point out someone else's sin than our own. But actually in the presence of a holy and spectacular God who is apart, set apart, holy and beautiful, if he let any sin into heaven before I was saved and didn't know Jesus, before we were saved and didn't know Jesus, if he said, okay, I'll let you into heaven, we would have ruined heaven. It would have been blemished and ruined forever. But he's so good. He has a plan. He has a plan. I really believe that we're in a season. This is a, an intentional season of the Lord of dealing with the issues of the heart and, and dealing with the sin issues in our heart. Because, and he wants to give us this vision like Isaiah of his holiness and his beauty and his majesty. There is a healthy fear of God in his presence that, that is due from us. There is a healthy view of sin, even for a believer, in our lives. The, the consciousness of the presence of the majesty of God causes us not to have to dwell on our sin, but to have to say, oh, I do not want that in my life, Lord. I release it. I let it go. I turn. I repent. I turn away and I turn back to you. And he's so good. He says, I forgive you. I love you. I've covered you. You're mine. It's gone. But don't hold on to it, guys. Do not hold on to it. Don't sit in the shame. Let it go. Give it to him. Turn away from it. Ask the Lord for a, a vision and a fresh outpouring of the fear of God in your life. Oh, many people might say, how can a loving father do that? How could a loving father um, deal with uh, his, his people that way? You know, you think of uh, Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. They were believers, yeah? They came in and lied about the offering that they gave. What happened? They're gone. Gosh, is that not a healthy check for us? We may not lie about that, but what are we lying about? Just covering over a little bit. I didn't really do that. I didn't say that. You know? So how can he do that? 
If you bring sin into the presence of, of holiness and purity, it taints it. And so I cannot get into heaven when I don't know Jesus with my sin. There is no measure of sin. Adam and Eve brought sin into the world when they chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They, they brought sin in by that one decision. The rest of humanity is born into sin. We're not born pure. We are born into sin. We, have con we, we deserve condemnation. We deserve death and fire and judgment in hell apart from the Holy One. But he, we, even though we de deserve death and destruction, he made a plan. And what does God do? Let's just look at this, right? In that moment when he's aware of his sin, of his unclean lips and the, the unclean lips of those around him. I like it that he's aware of his and not just the people around him. Sometimes we look at other people and we say, oh, they've got this issue. And we've got a big log in our own eye. So what happens here, verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that, had been take, that he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Jesus always had a plan. When sin came into the world, he always had a plan. He shows this is like a picture this is like a type of Jesus in this moment. We see here, he's aware, Isaiah is aware of his sin. And, and then one of the seraphim flew to him, having his hand in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs. It was so pure and fiery hot that he could not, the seraphim couldn't even hold it with his hands. And then he put it on Isaiah's lips and he says, you're cleansed and your, your sin is atoned for. You, you're clean. You are now pure. This is like a type of what Jesus has done for us, but it's not a seraphim that comes to us now. It's actually Jesus who came. He was in heaven with his father and he said, I'm going. The father says, who will go? Jesus goes, I'm going. I love them. We love them so much. I'm going to them. I'm going to put on flesh. I'm going to clothe myself. I'm going to live the perfect life that they could never live. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. Only do what I see you doing. Only say what I hear you saying. I'm going to be obedient unto death. I'm going to be perfect as a man. What? That's impossible for me. But Jesus, the Father, had a plan. And instead of a seraphim having to come, Jesus is the hot, fiery, pure, burning coal that came into the earth. And he cleansed us because he shed his blood for us. He, he gave himself. He lived a perfect life. He gave himself on the cross. He shed his blood. And he purified us and cleansed us from all of our unrighteousness. He was buried. He died. But because sin could not hold him down, he was perfect. He rose again. He's like, I'm leaving sin in the grave. And I'm coming up. And I'm going to heaven. And I'm going to take sons and daughters with me and present them to my father. What a glorious gospel that is. He is altogether lovely and wonderful. He became the coal. He was sacrificed on the altar. He is the lamb that was slain, that takes away the sins of the world. The father had a plan. And he shows us, he showed Isaiah a little touch of this, the cleansing, the purification. Just look quickly with me at Isaiah 53, where it talks about what Jesus did for us. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way before we knew Jesus. That's us. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is so good. He is so kind. He is so lovely. He became the lamb that was slain in our place. All the punishment on him. And he was resurrected because it couldn't hold him down. 
death is conquered. Sin is dealt with. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we said yes to him, we were given not just a clean up, but a whole new nature, a whole new body. We were transformed. That's what we get as his kids, as his sons, as we put our trust in him, as we believe we are reconciled once and for all with a holy and perfect and blameless and spotless God. Oh my goodness, so that means we get to be in his presence forever and ever. But wait, guys. <laughs> but wait. He holds absolutely nothing against us. He chooses not, even when we still sin, he chooses not to count that against us. He doesn't keep a list of it. He says, I've removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. I've hurled it away. It's dead and buried. You're free. Now, walk free. Be free. I choose not to hold it against you anymore. Even though I know it. I, I, he's aware of it. He's all-knowing. But he chooses not to hold it against us anymore. And then how does Isaiah respond in that moment? It is amazing to me. Initially in the presence of the Holy One, he's, oh my goodness, I can't be here. And then he's cleaned and cleansed and he's got a new nature, just like that. He's made completely new. And what does he see? This revelation. And he hears the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? So there's an invitation now for mission to join the mission of God for Isaiah. And he says, the, the, the Lord says to him, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then what does Isaiah say? He doesn't go, oh, let me think about it. What, let me just ask you, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? In the presence of Jesus, his beauty, his majesty, his cleansing, his perfection, his, his purification, his holiness and beauty and love pouring out upon us. Isaiah's response and our response is not, let me think about it, let me wait, let me check what it is you're asking me to do. It is complete and utter abandonment to him. Oh God, I've seen you. I've seen who you are. I've seen what you're like. I've seen what you did for me. I'll go. I don't care. Whatever it takes, wherever you want me to go, I'll go to America, a land I never thought I'd go to. I'll live there. I'll set up my family there. I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. I'll be with people and love them with the love that you've given me. The thing is, there's an invitation for us all from the Father. The Father is saying, we have a mission field. We have a mission field, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. You have a mission field around you, your family, your household, your workplace. The Father's saying, who will go? Who will, who will we send? Who will go for us? And he's already sent us there, hasn't he? He's put us where we are, so he wants to use us. But he's saying, will you go at any, for whatever reason, will you Will you go with that utter abandonment and complete surrender and yield to me? You know, I was from an unchurched family. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't know Jesus at all. And someone said, I will go. Send me. I, met, I went to Canada as this little Australian girl, completely out of my comfort zone, broken, difficulty in family, and the Lord took me to Canada, and he, there was a family there who said, we will go, Lord. We, use us. We will do whatever. We will say whatever. We will, we will do it whenever. We are happy to be inconvenienced, and we're going to invite this little Australian girl into our family. They were lovers of Jesus, and I experienced the overwhelming love of God in this family. I experienced the unconditional love of God in this family, if they didn't do it, who would have told me? If they didn't reveal Jesus to me and tell me about his nature and show his nature to me, I, would pro I could quite possibly still be stuck in my sin. But they said, we will go. I want to invite you to stand.
I feel like the Lord is, is commissioning us in this moment and is saying, who will go? Who will you if we don't tell them, who is going to tell them? If we don't go into our neighborhoods to our neighbors, if we don't inconvenience ourselves and open our arms and our homes to these people, if we don't take it a bit of extra time when we see someone in the grocery store or out on the street or whatever and, and just share the love of God with them, who else is going to do it? Why not us? Why not now? There is a harvest field waiting, a harvest of souls and Jesus wants to activate and send us into the mission in his love, receiving his love and giving it away to the world. Can I just invite you to close your eyes and to just hold out your hands to him? And if, if you want to, I want to invite you to take a step forward. When you, if you've heard the Father saying, "Who will you go? Will you do whatever? Will you surrender it all to me? Will you yield to me? I want to invite you just to come forward with your mask on and just yield to that invitation to, to receive his love and to give his love away to those around us. Will you go to your school? Will you be the one that's bold, that says, I don't care what people think of me. I'm going to love that person. Will you be the one that when you hear the Father giving you a word of knowledge, will you be brave and say, I feel like God has said this about you. And will you share it? I just want to invite you, just open up your hands and just say, Lord, here I am. I will join your mission. Lord, give me a fresh revelation of your perfect love that I might love people with the love that I've received from you. Holy Spirit, pour out your love in my heart. Show me, Lord, I surrender to you right now. I yield to you. Have your way. Have your way in my heart. I let go of every fear that I have. Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of sonship, the spirit of boldness that's on the inside of me. Why don't you just invite the Holy Spirit to just pour out on you? Just say, Holy Spirit, pour out on me. Holy Spirit, pour out on each one of us. Make us burning ones that have a burning passion for you and your name. Let us be fiery, passionate lovers of you. Lord, Pour out on us, burn up every bit of sin, every bit of every excuse, Lord. We yield to you and your mission and we say we will go, Lord. Give us a boldness, Holy Spirit, to be radical lovers. Thank you, Lord.